0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. And so Kiriath-Jerim is the new home of the ark. Shiloh's been destroyed by the Philistines in the interim, and despite the relatively warm welcome the wagon carrying my ark receives, the people's hearts are still far from me. It is a period of lament for Israel. Sure, the Philistines have sent back my ark, but that is solely an act of self-protection on their part and they still rule the roost in that neck of the woods, having soundly trounced Israel in battle. Israel is taking its time getting the point that that battle was lost along with my ark, not because I'd abandoned them, but because they'd abandoned me. We've already gone over the gorging greediness of the priest brothers, but the people themselves are also culpable. They're still doing as they've done before worshipping local deities because they think Baal, purported by some to be Dagon's son, remember, and his consort Ashtoreth hold some kind of sway in the area. Try as I might, these people still are holding on to the sense that the world is divvied up into territories overseen by different territorial gods. No matter how many times I tell them it's all my territory. Now is a good time to wipe that smirk off your face as you look down on these foolish rubes for thinking there are territorial gods to be worshipped in order for each facet of life to be taken care of. Yes, we've gone over this before, but in case you've forgotten, many of you or those you're close to are stuck in a cycle similar to Israel, right? You haven't stopped worshipping me just like Israel didn't. But just in case I am not really in charge of the world in which you make your living, be it business, fashion, entertainment, hospitality, service, etc., you give your allegiance to the idol of overwork, politicking, hedging your reports to make yourself look better, attending parties featuring illegal substances or far too much of legal ones. Whatever idol seems to make things happen in that world and really run that show. Surely you see my point. If you've come out of that cycle, friend, then hear Samuel's words and stay out. If you're still in there, worshipping both me and the idols of your competitor peers, then hear Samuel's words and get out. Just as Israel could trust me to take better care of them than Baal, Dagon, or Ashtoreth, Have faith that I will take better care of you as well. So even though my ark is back in the land of Israel, they maintain 20 years of this status quo of worshiping me and the local idols. Uh, We're crossing into 1 Samuel 7 here. When two decades of this split practice produces nothing but continued Philistine domination, Israel finally has ears to hear Samuel, for whom we have been waiting. Yet again, Samuel sounds the refrain to stop worshipping the neighborhood idols and go steady strictly with me. If the people's hearts are directed at me alone, Samuel says, Yahweh will deliver them out of the Philistines' hands. I am not going to do so, however, until there's no chance that Israel's victory can be construed in any way to have come from the enemy's gods relenting in mercy. As if again. Well, the people repent and put away their foreign idols and turn back to me. Samuel has the whole nation gather at centrally located Mizpah for a time of rededication, and the people fast and pray and confess their sin of trusting in other gods instead of or in addition to me, and I take them back. I'm just an old softy. Well, Massing together the whole nation like that raises the alarm for the Philistines, who figure Israel's actions are military in nature rather than penitential. I can't tell you how happy I am that Israel doesn't repeat their ancestors' chorus of, We should have stayed in Egypt rather than die out here. Only this time it would be, We should have kept worshipping Baal rather than to die up here. No they turn to Samuel and ask him to ask me to save them from the Philistines. So now it should be clear that they've come full circle, and their hearts are back in the right place. In the battle twenty years ago in which the ark was lost, there was no checking in with Yahweh to obtain guidance or blessing. No, that was all, Let's do this thing! Then it was, Let's bring out the magic ark to win the battle for us! Now, however. The people are turning to me. They aren't thinking they can just bounce over and whip the Philistines. They know I am the only one who can give them victory. So I do. Samuel offers up a pretty please would you save us burnt offering. And don't you know the Philistines are sneaking up just as he's crying out to me. Then BAM! Or more like BOOM! Have you ever been in a thunderstorm where lightning hit so close and the thunder came right on top of it so loud and so fierce you nearly fell to the ground, jumped out of your skin, and loosed your bladder all at the same time? Well, that's the kind of Spielberg action I rain down on the Philistines at this moment, and they have no idea what to do or how to communicate with each other. Though in close proximity, Israel is spared this special Philistines-only treatment, so my children are able to rout their enemies and chase them far away. And so Samuel ushers in a cycle of faithfulness. Israel is faithful to me. I keep the Philistines and Amorites at bay. Samuel makes the rounds of the region serving as Israel's judge, hearing the people's problems and speaking my wisdom into them and to his very old mother's delight he makes their old hometown of Rama his base when he's not on the road. And that's the warm and fuzzy ending this chapter would have were it not for my people's infatuation with the ways of the surrounding nations. It's like they're stuck in a permanent loop of that song from the jungle book, I Wanna Be Like You. To their credit, Israel does not go back into worshipping the neighbor's gods this time. Not yet, at least. No, instead, they start in with me and with Samuel about getting themselves a king, like everybody else. 1 Samuel 8.6 This displeases Samuel, who takes it personally and thinks it's his fault the people want a king. I tell him not to take it personally, though, and that they're not rejecting him. They're rejecting me. I'm the king. Or should I say, I am the king. And by making this request for a human king from amongst themselves so they can be like the nations around them, they are rejecting me just as they have in one form or another ever since they left Egypt. But I'm not going to let go of them, and I'm not going to let loose and let them have it this time either. What I am going to let them have is what they want, a human king. But they're going in with eyes wide open. I have Samuel warn them what a king's going to be like and how much harder their lives are going to be under a king, even if that king is a good one. With a king will come the scourge of governance, taxes. He'll take it in coin, in grain, in wine, and in draft their sons will be called to man his armies and plow his fields, their daughters will be taken to serve as cooks and bakers, and the best of their livestock will be pressed into his service. So shall a king treat them as the high price for his leadership, unneeded leadership when Yahweh himself is already enthroned on high, watching over them going before them into battle, and even fighting on their behalf for Pete's sake. But no, like all humanity, these people do not realize just how good they've had it because they see that others have something different, and different must be better. So they persist in their demands in spite of our warnings to them about a human king. And like a parent knows when it's time for the lesson to be learned by experience rather than lecture, I let them have what they want, knowing they will hear the wisdom of the words I have just spoken through Samuel when they come out on the other side of this experience. And as long as I am letting them have a human king, I am going to go ahead and use this sidetrack to move my ABRA plan forward in a new way as well. Call me. Mr. Flexibility. Samuel sends the people all home, knowing that even though a human king was not originally part of my plan, the fact that I've agreed to one means that I will bring it to pass. As with all things, this is an even more pronounced instance in which my guidance should be sought and hold sway. Samuel knows that I will put forward the king I desire in due time. Will I set forth a contest of cunning and strength with which to choose a king, that whoever wins it wins the throne? Will I choose the firstborn son of the firstborn tribe, Reuben? No, too obvious, too much like the surrounding nations. In fact, I go in the opposite direction and choose someone from the youngest tribe, Benjamin. Someone with a certain level of management knowledge would be good, certainly. So a man from a well-to-do family with multiple holdings that must be looked after fits that bill, but not the richest in the land. That would tend too quickly to arrogance, and not someone looking for fame, fortune, or power. No, someone looking for something else entirely, looking for nearly the exact opposite thing, actually. Someone looking for donkeys. Little Bo Peep lost her sheep. An old man, Kish, lost his donkeys, a whole passel of them. Uh, this is First Samuel 9. Something spooked them in the middle of the night, and they took off like there was no tomorrow. Kish doesn't know where to find them, so he sends his son Saul after them, along with one of their servants. Yep, our once and future first king of Israel is out on a genuine donkey hunt. Their search for the animals eventually leads them north from their town of Gibeah to the nearby town of Ramah. Sound familiar? So you know who's there. Samuel. The servant boy, yet another unlikely source of guidance in this scenario, recommends to Saul that they consult the prophet about the donkey's location. Just what the spiritual guide of my chosen people is hoping to do that day. If he's lucky, Someone else will ask him to choose lottery numbers for them, too. Samuel's been my man for too long for me to spring this fellow on him by surprise. So the day before Saul's arrival, I reveal to my prophet that I am sending a strapping Benjamite his way the next day, and he's to be king over Israel in answer to the people's cries. Just to make clear my choice, when Saul does come up with his donkey location problem the next day, I whisper in Samuel's ear, This is the one. It's a classic scene where Saul walks up to Samuel not knowing who he is, asking if the old gentleman happens to know where the prophet's house is, and Samuel says, Those donkeys have been found, son. Don't you worry about them. You're here for something far more important. Head on up to the high place where we're about to make sacrifices to Yahweh, and we'll talk. You can eat with me tonight, because Yahweh's got a new game plan for you, son. You're not going to be chasing after donkeys anymore. You're the one Israel's been waiting for. That's all of Saul's story we have time for today but you can count on our taking it back up quicker than you can say, by golly, I found my donkeys, next time on The Way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Alexander Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Iker designs our website graphics, KennyIkerArt.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.